Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Rugby League Digest. Michael Adams here, coming to you with another Rugby League Digest Rewind. The 18th chapter in the Super League War will be out next week. By the time most of you are listening to this, we will have recorded it. In the meantime, we've strung together a few of our early history corners, which have nothing to do with Super League, but... It was really fun for me to to listen back to these. So I think if you haven't heard these before, there'll be a lot of interesting content matter for you. Uh, The first one we're putting out is, it goes for about six minutes. It is a story on the evolution of the kicking tee in rugby league. I particularly wanted to play this just because of how incomplete and how ultimately inconsequential it was. When we started this show in 2017, Andrew and I didn't really know what format it would ultimately be, other than we definitely didn't want to just recap eight games and preview eight more. We didn't envision it at the time ending up the way it has become, uh, but this, and, and listening to this early history corner, it makes me think back longingly in a time when I could just gather a few random facts and tell them and, and be done with it. Not have to spend the next year of my life investigating every single aspect of this matter. So to me, it takes me back to a, a much simpler time in my life. Uh, and it, above all, it's very rugby league. So uh, that will be coming out first. Then we are going to play a history corner we did on Warren Ryan's time coaching the Newcastle Knights. Uh, This is the best thing about Warren Ryan. So I've already done one on his Newcastle years. We talked a lot about him in our Bullfrog chapters, but we've just barely scratched the surface of Warren Ryan. Like you, You could make an argument that the next series we do after Super League should be Warren Ryan from start to finish because he is absolutely one of the most interesting, most captivating characters in rugby league history. Uh, I'm obsessed with the walk. Uh, And finally, the history corner we did on the origins of the immortals. And this is another one that is a personal favorite of mine. It's a subject that in the course of doing our weekly show, Andrew and I talked about all the time. So it was really important to give it this grounding. And again, just a very rugby league story. Just before we do throw to these history corners, I just want to issue a content warning. And this can be applied to any time we may uh, use some of this old stuff. Andrew and I were a lot more liberal in the language we used in the early days of the podcast. That's something we cleaned up uh, somewhere along the way. Uh, So yeah, just be warned if you are listening with kids in the car or you have particularly sensitive ears, there are quite a few swears in the course of those three history corners. Uh, So with that, we'll 
throw straight to it. Uh, I'll catch up with you at the end uh, and I hope you enjoy it. As I mentioned, I'm doing a lot of research at the moment and I'm coming up with with a lot of uh, content that really encapsulates why I love rugby league and why it's occasionally so frustrating to be a rugby league fan. <laughs> um, and and one, one issue which you wouldn't think would draw this ire and um, just make me laugh a lot is um, the evolution or the development of the kicking tee. Love it. So... Uh, from, from, by my accounts, Hazem El Masri era really brought it into fashion. Uh, prior to that, it was largely the, the mound of dirt. Well, let's go back before that. Before that, it was a bloke holding it with his finger. Yeah, yeah, and the digging it into the dirt. Uh, all right. Uh, even as a kid, I'd see guys digging a hole in the dirt and putting the ball in it. How could that possibly help a goal kicker? Yeah. <laughs> Half the ball's buried, for Christ's sake. Well, um, that's, that's like, anytime you want to talk about, oh... Hazem El Masri, best kicker of all time. Keith Barnes dug the ball into the ground, <laughs> kicked it 60 metres, you know. Like. So he was a toe poker, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I don't get this. So you, you, you dig your heel in like a, like a horse's hoof. Yeah. Um, I mean, an actual horse's <laughs> hoof. Ray Warren. Um, the, um, and then the ball sits in its with its uh, pointy end down in the ditch. So, so how do you toe poke the point if it's in the it's, ditch? I think it's close to vertical, is how it works. Oh, so they, they toe poked it in the middle of the ball. I think, I think so, yeah. Because you know, in the 80s and 70s, they were toe poking the point the of the point, ball. The point, yeah. Um, I'll have to go back and look at some footage. I think you're right, actually. I think they do toe poke the middle mm, of the ball, or yeah. like just under. Yeah. Crazy. Um, but anyway, so I'm going to take you back to 1954. Uh, the previous year, an American team came out and played a series of matches against, um, you know, New South Wales, Sydney, Queensland. They did the whole circuit, played a lot of country games. In rugby league. In rugby league. This is a story for another day. It's um, a, a great a great yarn in itself. But um, I'm going to focus on one of the aftermaths of that. Um, this is from the Rugby League News of the 18th of September 1954. Kickers who have trouble digging holes these days would appreciate an innovation in American gridiron. There, a rubber tee is used for kickoffs, and the ball placed on the tee without waste of time. Of course, so much time is lost otherwise that a little more would not matter, but apparently this idea suits the kickers. So they've seen these tees and they're like, oh, this is interesting. You know, They don't miss a chance to lay the boot into NFL while they're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, w- one funny thing about this American tour, which I- I'll talk about it at- in another episode, but... Um, the the New South Wales Rugby League, the controlling body at the time, were so pumped at the idea that they could capture America, <laughs> and so clueless they were like, um, their, their quotes were like, "It has a chance to really take off uh, in America, given it's so much more exciting and such a better game than." <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's ever changed. Has it? <laughs> But um, so I'll, I'll take you to May the next year, and there's obviously been a lot of talk in the boardroom about these kicking tees and whether um, every couple of schooners you're yeah, in. Yeah. Um, a decision on whether a rubber tee to assist goal kickers is to be made by the league tomorrow night. 
One of the major problems for the league committee will be what to do with the tee after kicks and who is responsible for looking after it. (laughs) (laughs) The point is whether time saved in digging a hole can offset the trouble the retrieving of the gadget after kicks will be. The the committee meeting must have been favourable because the following month they've said rubber tees for goal kicking will be on trial at the domain next Wednesday when New South Wales members of the Board of Control will see them used in a public service match. Cam Davis, who is to referee the game, has not yet worked out who is to be custodian of the gadgets. Says the job looks like being one of the ball boys. (laughs) Can you imagine how funny it would be to read the minutes of his minutes? It would be like fucking Oscar Wilde or something. Genius. But uh, but here's here's what I want to get to. Okay, oh. so 1954, they're digging the hole into the ground and and toe poking it from a hole in the ground. 1999, we get kicking plastic kicking tees, and obviously the decision to not go 50 years earlier was because they couldn't work out who to hold, who was going <laughs> to hold the tee when it wasn't in use. Okay. But at some point in the intervene, like in the, in the four decades between these two events, they've decided that a better solution was to get a big bucket of sand, put it on the sideline, have it filled up with smaller buckets of sand by ball boys, and take that out every time the goal is kicked. There's nothing more I'm really <laughs> I mean, I, I do miss the sand. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, one of my passions as a kid, like my, my nan used to live across the road from a primary school, Biraban Primary School in, in uh, Toronto, uh, and I used to go there and dig the shit out of their ground and build mounds out of the dirt and kick goals all day. <laughs> and then um, the word got round to my school, which is a, a different part of the town. The principal's after the, after the kid that's been digging all the holes, because <laughs> we played them in soccer, and I said, oh, really? <laughs> catch the bastard, you know. <laughs> but, um, anyways, I, I used to love kicking off sand. I thought it was great. Mm. Just to have a water bottle where to wet it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's so funny <laughs> to have them carrying buckets of sand instead of a fucking bit of plastic. I, I don't know. It's <laughs> it's bizarre to me. That's the funniest story ever. <laughs> but can you imagine how funny the discussions on everything <laughs> in these meetings would have been? Even to this day. Yeah. Like, it would be like, imagine the Parramatta minutes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We had a fifth coup in five years. Um, <laughs> we expected to turn this around. Can we keep doing the same thing we've always done? Yep. Here, here. <laughs> uh, so turning to History Corner... Uh, I'm keeping it a bit more modern than I usually do because I wanted to talk about uh, some someone we're both big fans of, Warren Ryan, and uh, specifically his stint at Newcastle. So he took over from Mal Reilly uh, for the start of the 99 season. And um, I remember even at the time it was, it was kind of ridiculed and he was viewed as this like over-the-hill dinosaur. I was over the moon when I heard he was coming. Really, um, the Mal Really love affair was a bad start for him to begin with. But Newcastle people love Mal Really. He can walk in there now and they carry him on, on their shoulders to, to an outrageous extent. Yeah, yeah. Because after the grand final, they didn't do so well. Yeah. 
Um, so, so what comes in age 57 and the way the media talked about him, it was like they were bringing Vic Hay to coach. Him. <laughs> <laughs> like um, this hilarious scribe at the Newcastle Herald said, his new nickname is The Wedding Singer. The blockbuster movie of the same <laughs> name is set in the 80s. <laughs> blockbuster. <laughs> Which journal was that? Uh, it, it was didn't have a byline. Oh. It was just <laughs> Newcastle Herald stuff. <laughs> Warren Ryan didn't do himself any favours. Uh, early in, in the 2000 preseason, uh, Darren Albert had his, for the second year in a row, had an accident falling off his motorbike. Um, <laughs> and the, the article that I read went, Newcastle Knights coach Warren Ryan has christened his increasingly accident-prone winger Biggles. Uh, Biggles, of course, referring to the the series of books first published in 1932. <laughs> Let's not forget that he got sacked from ABC for quoting a scene from Gone with the Wind. <laughs> a, a real classicist. <laughs> but uh, but before we move on to the the Warren Ryan at Newcastle era itself, uh, one thing that struck me was how. In some ways, it's a very different scenario to how it is now. So Warren Ryan was 57 and was viewed as a dinosaur. Wayne Bennett's 67. Bellamy's 57. Neil Henry and Hasler are both 56. How is Bellamy 57? He looks great. Yeah, yeah. He looks younger than Martin and Navarro, Navarro <laughs> which he looks exactly like. But um, in, so that's changed because with the exception of Bennett, no, no, really, no one really views those guys as really old school or yeah, know, yeah. of the past. But I think the bigger thing, the thing that hasn't changed is, so Warren Ryan last coached in 94. Uh, that was his last year at West. So five years out of the game, I think that had more of a, a thing than the actual age. Mm. Like the game just passes you by so quickly. Absolutely. Like if someone tried to highlight Tim Shane's or Brian Smith yeah, yeah, now, yeah. just that few years out of the game. Absolutely. Like, mm. Phil Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Blake. One of the legendary performances. Yeah. We've talked about it many times yeah. personally. The uh, top eight mm. finish with the Gold Coast yeah, Challenges. Yeah, Christ. Yeah. yeah. Genius performance. Um, yeah. Did, what did he do after that? Did he get go to England? I don't like, know. I'd like to look into that. If anyone yeah. if anyone knows Phil, uh, yeah. hit us up on the on the Facebook or Twitter. Yeah. I'd like to hear that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So, 99, Warren Ryan takes over at Newcastle. And on top of the age thing, there was a lot of worry that Ryan was going to put the shackles on uh, the Johns boys. The amount of times I heard the phrase, put the shackles on, <laughs> in that year, I've never forgotten it. Yeah. Um, any regular listens, listeners to this show will know where we're heading with this, but uh, here's, here's one quote from the time. Mortimer led, Steve, Steve Mortimer led, the entertainers, as Canterbury, Canterbury were known. They were the crowd favourites. Ryan took over. All of a sudden, there were shackles <laughs> There were shackles on Mortimer and the razzle-dazzle was gone. Uh, because, of course, what, what, what came in then? The dogs of war. <laughs> I was just over the moon when he came. I'm an unabashed Warren Ryan admirer. I love him Non-ironically and ironically, yeah, because of his yeah. belligerent behaviour. Yeah, yeah. But um, the guy is an innovator. 
you cannot tell a story of rugby league without him. No. He's a Hall of Fame worthy coach. Absolutely. Um, just an agitator too. Absolutely. of a bloke. We'll get into all the players and coaches and media personalities he's fallen out with over the years. But um, you mentioned an innovator, and I, I think that's a really important thing to remember mm-hmm. because even in the Dogs of War era, it's, it's not like he loved that style. He was exploiting the rules as they were at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a quote where he's talking, where, where he's rubbishing the idea that he was going to put the shackles of, of, on the Johns boys and, and try to you know get Peter Tunks back in the fold. <laughs> um, he said, if you trace the history of that rubbish, it's wrong. Harry Bath was trying to tell everyone in the 70s that there wasn't enough room in which to play the game, but no one listened. By the middle of the 80s, it was clear to everyone that evolution had taken us down a dead end. The defence was simply too good for the attack. They brought in the 10-metre roll and penalised the hell out of anyone who was holding down. So, yeah, Warren Ryan was one of the key reasons for those changes being made. But if that's the rules and you want to win premierships... Absolutely. I mean, and then and the players you got at your disposal as well. He had Sinek Gillespie and Lee, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. One thing he didn't do was put the shackles on. Like The, the, the Knights, you know, were one of the, the best teams to watch in that era. I mean, you couldn't turn Matthew Johns into a defensive 5 <laughs> It's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he... He took he took the job at a really bad time for the Knights. So he had all the, the drugs dramas yeah. with O'Davis, Wayne Richards, McDougal. And let me just bring that up. I brought up with my mate on Sunday, which on the footage show with him. It's um Mad Dog's just got a complete pass from being a drug chief. Well having read a few articles about it in the last couple of days, I I think the, the medical excuse was genuine. I love Mad Dog, don't get me wrong, but the whole family's been embroiled in drug Mm, yeah, issues. yeah. That yeah. doesn't mean the brother's guilty it, of the brother's sins, but yeah, no. it just doesn't look good. Yeah. And no one mentions it. Yeah. Now, Davis hasn't really got away with it. I hated that at the time. I hate how Wayne Richards like got the sack. I was fine with him getting in the sack, don't get me wrong. Wayne Richards gets the sack, has a middling year at South before heading over to England. Mm-hmm. Robbie O'Davis is back playing Origin one game yep. after his... Yep. And no one talks about it. He's just forgiven. Yep. You know? Rodney Howe's a pariah to this day. Absolutely. It's weird. Although Howe played Origin soon after he came back. But yeah. the first thing you associate with Rodney Howe is drug cheat. Thanks to Gordy. Yeah. yeah. Robbie O'Davis is hardly mentioned. I remember reading Gordy's book and, and, and how angry he was still mm. in the yeah. book. Like, yeah. I love Gordy for that. Yeah. But... um. Yeah, it's peculiar. Mad Dog's on the on the on the panel, the footy show. Everyone loves him. He's got a mm. man shake. Yeah, yeah. Always forgiven. Always yeah. forgotten. They're never even brought up. So basically, the the story goes that he uh, fractured his skull or something in like '93. Can't remember whether it was playing footy or otherwise, but that caused this uh, hormonal imbalance. I think it had something to do with his pituitary pituitary gland mm-hmm. that he wasn't producing enough testosterone. Yeah, I remember the story. Yeah, um, it's so, a fair excuse. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, given the uh, circumstantial evidence around it, mm, no good. Yeah, but uh, anyway, bad time ever walked to show up. Is the yeah, one. yeah, yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, there was uh, unrest at the club and um, money issues. This is the most Newcastle thing ever. So um, I'll, I'll just read you this. This was a fundraising drive to actually get the fans to pay for players' contracts. I remember it. <laughs> Retired club captain Paul Harrigan and coach Warren Ryan kicked off the Club 2000 campaign at the Knights Leagues Club. 
Ryan said the fighting fund would help keep rival clubs at bay. For $2,000, supporters or sponsors can buy a limited edition gold ring, which avails them of other benefits. Can you imagine? Can you fund the uh, sport that you love? Um, it's, it's so Newcastle. Like when they decided they weren't going to re-sign Matthew Johns, that was the funniest thing ever. There's a mob outside West Leagues going, "Come out and face us." Were you in Newcastle at that time? Uh, what year was that? That was 2000. No, I was in London, but I remember reading about it and cracking yeah. up. And um, then uh, um, what's what's the John's dad name? Gary, Gary Johns. Yeah. Gary Johns. Um, so th- this is from uh, Andrew Johns's autobiography. Dad became really outspoken about it and was being quoted in the newspapers and getting into a war of words with Warren Ryan. To be honest, it gave me the shits. The old man got up and spoke, telling the crowd I was 100 to 1 to re-sign and that Warren Ryan could burn in hell. (laughs) (laughs) That's very Newcastle. (laughs) And let's look at the uh, scoreboard. Warren Ryan gets rid of uh, Matty in 2000. Yeah. When do they win the comp? Yeah, yeah. 2001. Exactly. And... Okay, so they're knocked out first week of the finals in 99. He takes them to the prelim in 2000. They should have won that game. They choked against East. I mean, they probably would have been cannon fodder for the Broncos the next week anyway. But on field, like, it was a successful era. Absolutely. And um, some terrible recruitment. So you, you can't, you have, have to apportion some blame to uh, Warren Ryan for that. Brought in Steve Walters, who lasted about five games. That was a disaster, yeah. It was a disaster, but apparently he was basically on match payments. So, yeah. But uh, having, a, having a legend around can help, uh, you know, as you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to help the young blokes and yeah. stuff. So maybe he was doing that, who knows. Yeah. Um, ben Kennedy aside, uh, they brought in a succession of pretty terrible players. Matt Parsons was all right, I guess. Yeah, he did well. Yeah. Role player. Yeah. Um, and, and as... So often it happened. It it all kind of fell apart. Warren Ryan lost the room, which didn't help when basically his first role when he got to Newcastle was to tell the players that they only won half a con. <laughs> it's such a maverick. Yeah. But, I mean, the word you hear about him all the time is abrasive, and there's no better word to describe him. Yeah. But um, like wantonly abrasive. Yeah. No attempt to sugarcoat anything. And I admire it. I admire the belligerence. Uh, the best quote I saw was from Greg Pritchard. He said, he doesn't just call it a spade. He tries to hit you with it. <laughs> well, Phil Rothfield, I used to write into his blog and ask questions uh, when he had the Telegraph blog when he first had the question time sort of thing. And he told me, I said, what do you think of Walk? And he goes, when I was a cadet journalist, I, I was waiting for a story for him. And I said, hello, Mr. Ryan. And he knocked my book out of my hand and walked away. <laughs> Something like that. It's fucking outrageous. <laughs> um, I, I love this story. So um, he placed a media ban on Ray Hadley in 2UE, but Ray Hadley in typical Ray Hadley style was trying to say that, no, it, it was he who banned one <laughs> Ryan. Imagine those two together in a room. <laughs> Fuck it, oh. Um, but that leads us to the um, the, the biggest uh, story of this year, Um so he had a fight with Roy Masters. And apparently when, when Roy Masters was coaching West in, in the late 70s, that was Warren Ryan's first Sydney gig. He was coaching the under-23s or something like that, and they nearly came to blows on <laughs> multiple occasions in that era. <laughs> so it's just this, like, 20-year-long slanging match. Just the the, the, uh, the the ability to come to blows at will. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, so it all culminated at uh, a grandstand in Parramatta Oval. Uh, I'll, I'll read you a. I'll, I'll read you Roy Masters' version first, then I'll read you uh, Warren Ryan's. So Masters said, I was king hit on the side of the head by Ryan while he was standing above me on the steel steps at the back of the Western Grandstand of Parramatta Oval. <laughs> Love the detail. <laughs> um, Ryan was aggrieved at an article I wrote five years ago <laughs> during Ryan's last year at West. <laughs> Very aggrieved. <laughs> and uh, Ryan's version was, I started telling him pretty frankly what I thought of some of his journalistic efforts, and I don't think that was exactly music to his ears. I pushed him out of the way, and those ridiculous glasses that he wears on the point of his nose fell off. <laughs> uh, my favourite thing is, so Paul McGough, who's like been a like foreign correspondent for the Herald for like 15 years or so, I'm, I'm, it's got to be the same Paul McGough, but I saw a, a, he wrote an article in defence of Roy Masters, who was his, you know, stablemate at Fairfax. Uh, so th- this is the the semi-neutral, although biased in Masters Favors uh, version. Ryan told Masters that he hadn't, hadn't answered one of Masters' questions at a recent post-match conference because he objected to an article Masters had written saying it was time for Ryan to quit coaching and smell the roses. As Masters was pointing out that the offending that the offending article had been written five years ago, Ryan punched him on the side of the face, <laughs> knocking off Ryan's glasses. Now, out of those two, I'd take Ray Masters' version. Yeah. If I was a magistrate, I'd say uh, Warren Ryan's memory might be a bit cloudy. <laughs> um, but uh, first of all, I love Ray Masters' journalism. Mm. The fact that he's a rugby league coach from the Fibro Silvertails era, yeah. and he's so eloquent. Yeah, yeah. And so... Um, such integrity, yeah, and um, stands by his beliefs and stuff. Yeah, uh, I definitely take his version. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> King hitting people, <laughs> it's a fucking outrage. And he's still up to it these days. He got like arrested last year for assault <laughs> because he got in a fight with someone about Donald Trump. <laughs> no, not someone, an elderly senior citizen, <laughs> which he himself is as well. And um, so it was a it was a really combative. A uh, couple of years for Warren Ryan and the Sydney Press, or any press really. Like he banned Newcastle Herald journalists. You know, he banned Tuhiwe, and he he walked out of a press conference one time, and um, he said, "I told you I wasn't going to take any further part in a pantomime." <laughs> <laughs> Just the character. I, 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 these we don't have these guys anymore. No, no. Um, and I loved him as a commentator too. Me too. He was like, blunt he, and uh, he was so blunt. He didn't sit on the fence. Like I remember one time, like I can't remember which club Willie Mason was at at this point, but um, whoever he was playing for was on an attacking raid, and and um, Willie Mason's fucked up, as is his want. And um, Warren Ryan said something to the effect of, "They they had all the space, and big dumb Willie dropped it." <laughs> I think he might have a few uh, racial. Uh, Issues dealing with internally as well. Well, yeah, I mean that's what undid. <laughs> I, did, I did like his um, sticking to his guns to the end. His, his refusal to apologise yeah, for that yeah, well, it would yeah. be insincere. So I'd yeah. rather just retire. Yeah, I mean, like, just total uh, personal code. Yeah, whatever you want to say about you know the incident himself, there's something you got to respect about just saying no. It would be a, a hollow apology, so I'm not going to do it. See you later. <laughs> It's, it's very uh, Mossop Way-esque. Isn't it? That's what it reminds me of yeah. a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's um, my way of the highway. Mm. But um, 
So one article I read gave gave a list of some of his uh, his falling outs over the years. So Tommy Radonikus at Wests, Steve Mortimer, Jason Taylor, Roy Masters, Peter Frelangos, Paul Langmack, Wayne Pierce, Matthew Johns, Tony Butterfield. Like, Tell me Butts, did he? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Johns and Butterfield organised a players-only dinner, which is another great rugby league <laughs> thing to do when you're not happy with your coach. And, um, yeah, they were demanding he treated them better. It's just amazing he got the results he did with the personality that he possesses. Yeah, yeah. The abrasiveness must have worked yeah. in some ways, but it's not going to last long. Yeah, I mean, he took Newtown yeah. to, to the grand final in 81. Amazing. With, like Tommy Radonikus and Phil Gould, a couple of good players, but basically, uh, you know... But let's not forget that, he, that Gould was the coach he was because of Warren. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was reading on his Wikipedia earlier how he was a Commonwealth Games shot putter. Yeah, yeah. And he attributes his attention to detail and coaching to his uh, Czech shot put coach. Mm. And think about how many coaches played under Ryan. Yeah. Like, it's an endless list. Um, almost like the coaches that come out of Canberra. It's just a uh, production line. Yeah, yeah. He must have been great. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know. It's it's just I don't know. It's it's a really nice era yeah. to to look back on that couple of years. We're where, a bit young to really yeah. feel the force of his yeah, yeah. dogs of warrior and mm. stuff like that. But yeah, uh, I remember him with West, and but the, the results speak for himself. Every club he took, he took them from middle of the road or better to yeah. challenging for the grand final. Yeah, yeah. And and you talk about him falling out with players, but how many players left Canterbury to go to West? But how many? Um, uh, West hadn't had any success since God Christ knows when, mm. and then they were a formidable side. Yeah, under yeah. Him. Mm. incredible. Um, so yeah, so we love Warren Ryan. If, if that wasn't clear, um, I'm, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Warren Ryan talk as the show goes on, and the nickname as well. Yeah, I want to know the origin of the nickname. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I, I feel kind of like you know Christopher Columbus trying to discover China and ending up in the Bahamas. So I'm like researching Warren Ryan, the Newcastle era, and I've stumbled upon uh, something pretty momentous, and I'm just going to read it out to you. As if he didn't have enough to worry about right now, Matthew Johns broke his hand during Newcastle's win over North Queensland yesterday. But the hand's owner, who looked like Matthew Johns, played like Matthew Johns, and wore the Knights' number six jersey, would answer only to the name Reg Reagan. I said to the boys that I've invented myself an alter ego, John slash Reagan said. When I don't feel like coming to training, I just lay in bed and send him along. He's a late 1970s Australian, loves going to the beach, hates sunscreen, smokes only Winfield Red, drinks full-strength beer. This was in 2000. Uh, I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> and, and what a comedy genius it, it become. <laughs> to talk about something we talk about a lot which is the immortals and for all we talk talk about it i think it's a very problematic award i i kind of wish we didn't have to talk about it but what you can't deny is what a success it's been um and in many ways it, it was a very unlikely success so i want to just unpack the origins of the immortals and uh you know have a look at how we got to where we are today 
this will be good for me. I mean, you've given me the odd overview of this, but to hear it in detail for me will be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Because in my view, it's not only a great award, it's the Immortals of Awards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when the eighth Immortal was inducted, which turned out to be Andrew Johns in 2012, the great Ian Heads, who's, what can you say about Ian Heads? What a legend of rugby league he is. First ballot journo rugby league hall of fame so he was rugby league week editor at the time so he was like right in involved with the planning of the immortals and and all of that and he said it was a concept which has grown in stature into something never even faintly contemplated those 31 years ago which, which is really appropriate because i didn't realize until a few years ago that it started as a promotion for port <laughs> <laughs> think about that Port. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll read you more of uh, Ian Head's description of the origins of the Immortals. Is, is, is there a more rugby league drink than Port? <laughs> there is not. Uh, so, again, this was from his 2012 address uh, to induct Joey Johns. Like many of the best innovations, it was back then an idea plucked out of thin air. First thoughts belonged to John Fordham and quite possibly over a longish lunch considering that his companion was a robust individual who grew to become a legend of the wine industry, Brian McGuigan. Most of you probably know the story of Fordham outlining to McGuigan the value that lay in a commercial involvement of his growing wine business with the game of rugby league. So, long lunch, McGuigan and Fordham talking about you know, if there was anything they could do to, to merge well, how, wine. How old must have John Fordham been? Yeah, he, like he couldn't, must have, couldn't have been that old, eh? Yeah. But, He's been involved in every significant thing. Yeah. Yeah. Since then. Mm. So then the idea was born. Uh, McGuigan and Fordham took it to Ian Heads. Ian Heads uh, brought Zorba into the mix because he was the New South Wales editor at the <laughs> How time. How did it succeed? <laughs> there must have been a few crates of wine falling off the back of trucks or something. Well, get this. This is a contested uh, assertion because John Fordham thinks it played out differently. But Ian Heads said that uh, Zorba was actually the one that came up with the term immortals. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm flabbergasted that Zorba is involved in something successful. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, but the funny thing is that the word immortal has a, a much longer association with rugby league. Rugby league news, which you've heard me mention on the show many times, it's the precursor to big league, was the official publishing organ of the New South Wales Rugby League um, from 1920 to 1973 when it became big league. In the early 50s, they had a column uh, called Immortal where every week they uh, shine a light on a former player. So um, I, I like that touch. I don't know if that was a conscious thing at the time, but so the word Immortal has a long association. It must have been. It must have been in the psyche of the, yeah. of the um, conspirators. Yeah, yeah. Ian Heads was good enough to grant me an interview last year and I actually asked him what came what came first the port promotion or the idea for the immortals <laughs> and and he couldn't give me like a clear answer I, I think the truth is lost in that long lunch at double bay or wherever it might have been but yeah so in, in the past week i've gone back and, and read through those rugby league week issues in the lead up to the announcement of the the award to try to get a sense of was it was it a a real award with an alcohol promotion or was it an alcohol promotion <laughs> with an award attached to it? <laughs> Either way. And uh, so it's, it's murky. It's murky. I can't say one way or the other. 
Um, be like saying like um, the fucking Oscar started off as a promotion for Kalua or something. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so to to be fair, rugby league week did talk about it as a, a real honor, and you know this is going to crown the best players uh, since the Second World War. Um, but the so it was a subsidiary of McGuigan's called Elliot's Wines. The mention of Elliot's Wines was never far away from the surface when they were talking about the Immortals. So I'll, I'll just read this uh, from six weeks before the Immortals were crowned. Four, four weeks, sorry. At a meeting in Sydney two weeks ago, a distinguished panel of judges made their choice of the four greatest players of the post-war era. Those four players will be honoured in a magnificent promotion by leading Hunter Valley winemakers Elliot's. A superb box set of four bottles of Elliot's 1977 Vintage Port, paying homage to the four greats, will be released on July the 2nd. The wines will carry biographies and pictures of the four players, accompanied by scrolls telling their stories. We at Rugby League Week regard this as an event of great prestige for the game of Rugby League. The Port series, The Immortals, will quickly become a collector's item. Unbelievable. Uh, And enthusiasm for the award was built with the addition of a reader prize, where if you wrote in and guessed the same immortals that the panel of experts did, prizes include uh, a trip to London uh, and then minor prizes of um, a weekend at the Hunter Valley and lunch at Brian McGuigan's estate. I can't believe it. I, I really hope that Chuck and um, Clark Churchill got a, like a, a whole bunch of port out of this. Oh, they, so they received um, editions one through four of wow. the commemorative port. Um, the judging panel, who I will name shortly because they play a big part in my story, uh, they received five through seven. There were three judges. I, I, bet, I reckon Chooks was gone first night. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently the, the issue where the Immortals were, were announced uh, sold 80,000 copies. Uh, so there was a lot of buzz about it. And mm. I, I think the game was crying out for something like this. But even in the immediate aftermath, I can't fully establish... What was what was more known, the you know, <laughs> the advertisement or the immortals? Um, I, I know the box set of port uh, is an immortal of the alcohol sales game, uh, taking its place along other immortals such as Tui's Draft Twist Top, seven ninety nine a case, and a Long John Scotch, ten forty nine a bottle. Uh, so, esteemed company there in in the alcohol advertisements of nineteen eighty one. And there, there was an article the next year where golf, where a golf writer was talking about golf doing a similar thing. And I'll just read this out. Can you pick the four golden legends of Australian golf? They will be featured on the labels of a pack of four choice gold medal wines later this year. This is a follow-up to the highly successful promotion in which rugby league's Clive Churchill, Reg Gaznia, Johnny Raper and Bob Fulton were voted the immortals on a wine pack. <laughs> okay, so at the moment... It's looking more like the alcohol's winning out. But then on July 2027, 20, so not even a full month after the announcement, um, we saw what I've... It, there could be one earlier, but in my research, the first reference to... you know The, the way the Immortals is used now, it, it's like an OAM. You know, it's... It's, oh, it's, it's better. Yeah. Um, Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Like, you can't say Johnny Raper without rugby league immortal Johnny Raper. Yeah. And on July 27, the Canberra Times ran this article. Rugby league immortal Johnny Raper will be the guest of honour at a pie and footy night organised by second division club <laughs> Valley Statesman. Okay, okay so, all right. It, it's it's not, you know, lunch at Kirribilli House. I, I, you know, except we're working in, in, in the field of rugby league. But from not even a month after the award was crowned, yeah. you, you're already having it added as a prefix to, to their names. I'd like to know at what point it become so fixed in the lexicon that like, like you'll hear someone like um, someone was getting into Rothbill one day saying, "Oh, why are you wrapping up this guy so, so much?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry." So he played uh, his hand. He goes, um, "It was that big run he had." And he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry." So, so, so next time someone plays like an immortal for fucking six straight weeks, I'm just going to ignore it, am I? And they're like. Mark Guy would say something like, this guy's attitude, he's playing like he's an immortal. You know, so it's used in that way yeah, yeah, as, as yeah, a benchmark. Yeah. I'd like to know when, when, what year that kicked in. Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a good one too. So regardless of what you want to say, it, it worked. You know, whether, whether it was just a, a fortunate accident, you can't deny the the impact it's had and how good it's been for the game ultimately. The other aspect of it I wanted to talk about was the actual voting process. Yeah, it's very interesting. So the um, the judges for the award were uh, Frank Hyde, Tom Goodman, and Harry Bath. Who's Tom Goodman? So Tom Goodman was a journalist for the Herald, mm. and he'd been writing about rugby league since the 20s. Wow. So you had Frank Hyde come of age in the th- and play in the 30s, Harry Bath in the 40s. So you had... And obviously, you know, Frank Hyde's record speaks for itself. Harry Bath as a player, as a coach, and just a real thinker of rugby league. Yeah, um, perfect guy for it. Yeah, so th- three guys held in the, in the highest of, of regard. Um, well, let's just have a bit of musing on this. The importance of journalists to rugby league, just mm, the impact they've had on the yeah, game yeah, through yeah, every yeah, era. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. Um, like that, the Ian Heads generation, him and Alan Clarks and Jeff Prenner. Yeah. All these guys, you know, sadly departed Mike Gibson and, you know. Well, but you remember when Peter Fralingos died? Yeah, It was yeah. like the fucking um, Purpid died. Did you know Peter Fralingos is responsible for Parramatta being called the Eels? No. Yeah. How'd that work out? Um, so I think Parramatta, Parramatta, the Aboriginal word, has something to, to do with Eels. Right. I could be wrong about that. I can't quite remember. But anyway, Peter Fralingos is the one that first started referring to them as that. Wow. Because um, they were one of those teams that didn't have an, a name when they started. Perfect. Yeah. Um, just while we're ha- having a few asides, I um, I was reading a few Tom Goodman articles um, in, in the lead up to this, and uh, I, I found something that I, I think you'd like. This was a story on uh, South Sydney legend Jack Rayner, who was a stalwart of that early 50s South dynasty. League administrators should be determined that Rayner's outstanding qualities should not be lost to the game, <laughs> even when he's retired from the playing arena. <laughs> so, as far back as at least 1954, we were worried about losing players to the game. <laughs> 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 
It never ends. It never ends. <laughs> but uh, so, so we'll turn to the voting itself. Um, if I could be anywhere in history for one night to be witness to something, this might be it. Um, this this is a lengthy quote, but I'm, I'm going to tell the story in, in Frank Hyde's words. Uh, so bear with me because I, I think it really needs to be read in full to actually get the sense of it. It was a long and exhausting process, one of the long nights of my life, in fact. The three of us were ensconced in a city hotel. The task began about 6pm. The method used was as follows. Individually, we wrote out our list of the players we rated the best 100 in rugby league since World War II. We then checked the lists, each against the other, eliminate any player who was not on the three lists. Then we reduced the list to 75 players, and from that point, just kept reducing. At 2 o'clock in the morning, we were still reducing down to 12 by that point. By the same process, i.e. that not anybody on all three lists was automatically eliminated, we reduced the numbers to eight and then to five. At five, we were deadlocked, hopelessly, it seemed. At that stage, we even considered asking the organisers to make the promotion the five immortals rather than the allocated four. After some discussion, we rejected that and pressed on. At this point, with the working day near to its dawning, we changed our method. We decided that one of us would pick the four and the other two would have to justify which of the four would be dropped if the fifth player was to be substituted. Finally, around four o'clock in the morning, we made the decision. One great player had been left off the final list and we had our four immortals. I've never named the fifth immortal and I don't plan to do so now. As far as I'm concerned, his name will remain behind the door of that room in which the three of us met that night. Suffice to say is that he was a player encompassing all the attributes of a champion one of the all-time greats and recognised that way. But when it came down to the crunch, we debated whether we could drop Churchill, Raper, Gaznier or Fulton. We decided that we could find no reason to justify dropping any one of them in favour of the fifth player. Uncomfortable with the men we chose, although the thought of the fifth immortal and how close he got nags me now and then. That's um, spine-tingling. Um, isn't it? Like To have those three guys... Sitting in a room. I love the um, gravitas they gave it, even yeah. though it was probably an alcohol. Yeah, yeah, at that yeah, point. yeah. To hear Harry Bath and Frank Hyde and Tom Goodman just sit there debating the best players they've seen, like so, so, so we know now from history that that was Langlands. Yeah, yeah, it was the fifth and one. Yeah, so we'll get to that. I just wanted to. Ever since I read that, it's it's been like a dream for me and you and some other dickhead to book a hotel room and, and like, <laughs> do something similar. Well, like, I was going to say, since... it reminds me of the Hall of Fame yeah, yeah, yeah. discussions. Yeah, so Same sort of gravitas. So we book a hotel room and do the same thing, 100 players, whittle the list down. Then I thought of it like, if I was to tell my wife that I was going <laughs> to leave her and my son for a night to sit in a hotel room with you and talk about footy players, I, I think she'd rather I was cheating. <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, so the, the fifth model was Langlands. Um, it must have been tough, Fulton or Langlands. Yeah, yeah. Well, true to his word, Hyde never talked about it, even after. What what an absolute man of integrity yeah, he yeah, was. Yeah. Do you know, after or in the midst of his broadcasting career, he used to lead supporters groups um, on kangaroo tours. Nothing makes me happier than ex-players and, and identities leading tours. But 20, 30 years after, he would have an annual reunion at I think it was like Canterbury Leagues, probably a place like that, where people like just average punters who had been on these tours would gather with Frank Hyde every year 
and, and talk about, you know, the, the what a first, legend. Yeah. What yeah. a legend. Mm. I used to look at them in the nineties and go like, um, but they, I think fucking Zorba had one. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, like, can you imagine going on this tour and like, <laughs> how much they'd be phoning it in and stuff like that? <laughs> Getting on the piss and trying to fight you. And, yeah. But it's like, I mean, Frank Hyde, that was just, what a gentleman. Mm, mm, yeah. Um, but yeah, so he never he never revealed that it was Langlands, but uh, Harry Bath wasn't so opposed to making that known, and he actually said it to the man himself. Um, well, he was St. George, so yeah. he probably felt he owed it to him. Well... Yes and no. He he and uh, Langlands didn't have a great relationship from what I can gather. Do you think he said it despite him? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, re- I'll read out the story as Langlands tells it. We went to a carbine luncheon when I was living up at Southport. On the way home, the lunch had been held in Brisbane. Harry Bath came and sat next to me and said, you've got the shits because you weren't picked in the models. <laughs> I replied that I wasn't angry and said, it's got, it's got nothing to do with me, whoever they went for, for. Harry then said, it was me that didn't vote for you. I went against you. I said, all right, fair enough. He said, well, the reason being is that I didn't think there should be three from the one club being in as immortals. To this day, I'd rather not know who went against me, Langland said. Um, and this, this was a kind of widely known thing. A um, couple of quotes. This was Brian Chickamore. When the Immortals came out, I said, no Graham Langlands. I was just totally amazed. Anyway, I've heard stories, as you do in football circles, that because there was already two St. George blokes and they wouldn't make a third. Also, I've heard that one of the selectors didn't particularly like Graham, which I think um, is probably Harry Bath. I think Harry Bath was coaching Australia in the in the late 60s, early 70s. And um, when you've got like blokes like Langlands, Smith, Artie Beetson, <laughs> etc. in that team... Um, I think if you're an old school disciplinarian like Harry Bath, you're gonna. <laughs> Even that's rugby league to have, yeah, a, to yeah. have a personal vendetta yeah. impacting your decision. <laughs> what about the quote? You've got the shit. <laughs> Not a question. Have you got the shit? Yeah. The statement. So yeah, so of course, um, Graham Langlands did get in with Wally Lewis in '99. Well, that was way too long. Why did they wait so long? It's funny. I mean, yeah, I don't know, but um. It, the funny thing was, it was only supposed to be Wally Lewis. They the the original brief was the best player since the first models were picked. Oh, thank God they put him in. Credit to Ken Arthurson. Uh, this this is Ken Arthurson's book telling the story. So I don't know if this is the whole let, story. Let me guess. But... It's pro Arco. Yeah. <laughs> so even Ken Arthurson, a, a bloke who would campaign for Scott Fulton if he had <laughs> half a chance. Um, <laughs> He he said how pleased he was to see Langlands get the nod, um, even if he did it with, with a very Arco-like self-service. He said, I'm delighted to say that I was a part of Langlands being named an immortal because I became a selector for the immortals. I, along with some of the other selectors, said, well, look, we always felt there was an injustice as far, far as Graham Langlands is concerned, and we think we should bend the rules and include another player. And that's how Graham Langlands became an immortal. It's perfect exactly how it is now. Yeah. That they've, uh, they've righted that wrong. Yeah. I think it's one of the few fucking good decisions in rugby league. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Just something really heartwarming, especially in the wake of Gaznia's death and, you know, Langlands and Rapers' diminished states. Uh, Langlands never really, if he was aggrieved, he never came out publicly and, and talked no, about and it. And that's very unrugby league. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're running a bar in the Philippines, it's not yeah. going to be fucking <laughs> time to be aggrieved, isn't it? Um, 
But so probably about a decade or 15 years ago, um, he he and the other St. George Immortals formed a little group called the Saints Immortals. And uh, he said this, It's a pity it's taken me 20 years to get into it with these other two blokes, Gazney and Raper. What we're doing at the moment is good. We're touring the country areas and we're trying to promote the game in these areas. It's just great to be in the same room as Reg Gaznier and Johnny Raper. Beautiful. Yeah. I mean, as a Dragons fan, that you know gives me tingles. Well, I mean, we haven't seen that much of him. That clip you put on our um, Facebook page mm. recently, just incredible. Just, yeah. Um, and every person that you respect in the game will just say he's one of the yeah, yeah, yeah. top seven players of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Kevin Humphreys actually said um, that he thought Langlands was the best out of all of them. You know, well, that goes to show how good Gaznier must have been. Yeah, he's, he hasn't got the numbers no. to show up career with the yeah. injuries and whatever. Mm. He must have been fucking something yeah. else. And th- this is the, the one of the last things I want to touch on because Frank Hyde in his autobiography was at the end tasked with picking his four models from eighty-two to ninety-five when the book was published. Um, he picked Wally Lewis, Peter Sterling, Brett Kenny, and Gene Miles. Um, The Gene Miles pick, I think, touches on what we're trying to do with the Hall of Fame and some of the the struggles to to get it right, you know. Um, By the way, the feedback's been fantastic. We really appreciate the conversation. Let's keep it going because the criteria is a work in progress. I'm happy with the players we've put in, but um, the sanctity of the Hall must be preserved. (laughs) Um, But Frank Frank said this about picking... um, uh, Picking Gene Miles over Meninga. Pick the Immortals 2 on pure records, Meninga would be number one. But there's a lot more to football than cold records on a printed page. I came down to pure football in my choice. And for me, Miles was and is the man. It looks like they chose pure football from the first Immortals yeah. as well. And that's why it's so hard to just go by stats. See, that's why if Inglis comes back and maybe wins another comp, he's an Immortal. I think talent-wise, he is absolutely the best player I've seen. He's probably not in the top five or top ten of best careers I've seen. Mm. But some some of the things he does, ball in hand, at, at full stride. It's all going to depend on how he comes back. Yeah. If he yeah. comes back and becomes the old statesman, then mm. like just comes yeah. up, mm. Thurston-esque, he'll be an immortal. Uh, just to finish up, you know, we, we talked at the start about trying to work out whether it was alcohol or a real <laughs> award. And... I think I'm going to give it to the real award because that's what it's become. And it become a real award when you had men of that stature treating it with the respect they did. Yeah, exactly. At at the time, the port itself was was billed with the following. It goes on sale to the public this week and is expected to become a collector's item for sportsmen and non-sportsmen alike. Uh, I had a look today. You can get a box set of the models port for $75. <laughs> Original. <laughs> I'm getting it up for Christmas. <laughs> That's it. Done. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the Immortals. Wow, that was beautiful. Yeah. So that is this week's show. As I said, the 18th chapter in the Super League War 
will be out next week. Uh, we're putting together another mailbag episode. So I uh, would love to get your questions on anything we've covered in the Super League War to date. Uh, anything you might want to know about us or putting the show together, coronavirus, whatever it is, uh, please send your questions in either by Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or send in an email to the rugby league digest at gmail.com. Uh, of course, if you haven't joined already and you use Facebook, uh, please jump on and join our official discussion forum, uh, supplement the rugby league digest super league war discussion forum, I believe is the, the full name. Uh, please get on there and get into the conversation. So uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for your patience as always, as we we were heading to, to the home stretch for the first season of this Super League War. So uh, in weeks ahead, you'll hear more about what we've got coming up, but we've got some really great stuff coming in the weeks ahead. So uh, we will speak to you next week. Uh, see you later. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.